Good afternoon, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Good, awesome. This weather's beautiful that we're having, not too hot, not too cold. Just a beautiful time to come together on a Saturday and worship our God, singing praises and learning through his word. You all have your handouts today. If you need a handout, just shoot your hand up in the air. Also, if you need an envelope for your giving, we do collect um, a free will offering at the end of our service. And as well, um, we do take up tithes as well for anybody that's in the discipline of tithing. We continue to pray for you as God reveals himself to you and we continue on in uh, supporting this church in that way. Our study today is entitled Spirit Baptism. Spirit Baptism. First of all, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been baptized? already. Show of hands. How many of you have been baptized? Some of us. Many of us. Okay. Cool. Some of us have been uh, baptized maybe when we were still young because somebody at church said, listen, you're of age and you're learning many things and it's time for you to get baptized. So I remember at our church, there were a few kids. They just thought, oh, all my friends are getting baptized. I want to get baptized too. So they decided, okay, we'll all go to the classes together, okay? And at the end of the classes, you know, they, they all got up there and they lined up beside their friends and they all decided, okay, we're going to get baptized. And before getting baptized, they were asked a few questions. And as they were prepared for the baptism, they said, when the pastor asks you these questions, do you just agree and say, we do? Okay? So you go up there, you're not even sure what you're agreeing to, you're just answering the question. And the pastor says, do you take Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We do. You know? And they just kind of agree. Now, you'd hope that after all those classes that they might have actually learned something, right? But a lot of people think, oh, well, I was water baptized already, so I'm saved. It's as though being baptized by water can save you. Now, there are many different confusing things about baptism um, in the Christian church alone. I know in Catholic faith, there are many, um, when, when the child is still an infant, they have a, a child baptism, and they're sprinkled with holy water, and, and for some reason... Did that child actually make the choice for Jesus? Were they actually baptized? Or were they just sprinkled with holy water, not knowing any better? And what is baptism? Okay? So we're going to be studying through this today, and we're going to be looking at something called spirit baptism. Okay? This is a heavy subject. Please uh, feel free to put your hand up, ask a question, and uh, we can continue on. This is a study, not a sermon. So there's a lot of back and forth that is allowed to happen here. Our key text for today is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink language. How are you given one spirit to drink? How do you drink the spirit of God, right? But it does say there in verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. If you are a believer and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are part of his church, my friends, you are part of the body of Christ. And it is the spirit of God that unites us to be part of the body of Christ. How exactly does this work? The whole idea of spirit baptism kind of revolves around those two texts. 
because we were all baptized by one spirit. When I was water baptized, I don't remember much being told to me about spirit baptism or baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was just told, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And it sounds very familiar because we read that in, in scripture. The first section of the study is called baptism, water, fire, spirit, baptism. Is water baptism a requirement to receiving salvation? What is different about water baptism and spirit baptism? We're going to be looking at these first two passages. The first one is Mark chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, followed by Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. And this was his, John the Baptist's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when we read through the Gospels, one of the first things we might read about is John the Baptist baptizing people, calling them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. To repent and change their way of thinking. To repent and turn their hearts back toward God. And um, there's this picture that I have in my mind of, of Jesus being baptized. And he comes down to John the Baptist. And, and John says, oh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes down and he asks John to baptize him. And John says, no, no, I shouldn't be the one to baptize you. You should baptize me. And Jesus said, listen, this is the way things need to be done right now. And Jesus sets an example where he himself goes into that watery grave and he comes back up. And as Jesus comes back up at his baptism, the, the skies open and the heavens open and a loud voice comes from heaven and a light in the form of a dove. It comes and um, descends upon Jesus and all, all that it says is, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? And God is claiming Jesus Christ, he's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to be taking away the sins of the world. What a beautiful picture, right? But you wonder, how could dipping in water take away your sins? I mean, I dip my children in water to get rid of the dirt on their body. And that's just on the outside of their body. And believe me, sometimes you have to do it many times in a day. <laughs> All right? The boys are very active. They get very uh, dirty. So they say, go take a shower. You dip them in water. But although all that stuff is coming off their body, you have to wonder, are they being cleansed on the inside? Why is it they keep going back and getting themselves dirty? Why is it they keep going back and disobeying mommy and daddy, right? It's kind of like us. You stop and think, okay, well, I go to church. Okay, I said my prayers. I know I keep sinning, but if I pray and ask God for forgiveness, I know he's going to forgive me. So let him wash away all that sin. But for some reason, why do we keep going back and we keep on sinning? Kind of like my boys, right? We keep going back and getting dirty, getting ourselves in trouble, and we just think, okay, well, God's going to wash me anyway. There's got to be something better that God had in mind when he gave us, gave us this model of baptism. John baptized in water for the repentance of sins, but it said that Jesus would baptize in the Spirit. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. 
And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The water that it's talking about here is referring to the time of Noah. Remember the time of Noah? Where all mankind was just utterly disobedient. They were just terrible and evil in the heart. And it was through the waters of the flood that God sent. And out of that water came salvation for Noah and his family, those who loved the Lord and were obedient to him. Salvation came through those waters. Just like that sort of baptism at the time of Noah, that's what this is talking about. That water symbolizes baptism that also saves. Not the water baptism that's just, okay, I'm free from sin. There's something more that's happening here. Okay? A clear conscience toward God. Our appeal to God through belief and repentance is what matters. Water baptism is to publicly identify ourselves with Christ. Now friends, I've got to ask you, when you come before God in prayer, and you ask, you might confess your sins. You know you've done wrong, you know you've disappointed yourself, you've disappointed God, and I've got to ask you, when you ask for forgiveness, are you just confessing? Or are you truly repenting? Repenting means to turn away from. So if the sin that keeps getting you is right here and it's your buddy, and that sin follows you all along and you keep engaging with it, and you feel bad, but you'd rather have that fleshly sin as your company than the presence of God as your company. So in some way, you're, you're living in sin, and you're saying, God, forgive me, okay, but I'm still over here with sin. I'll get back to you later. Repenting means, okay, Lord God, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, so I'm going to take this sin, I'm going to leave it here, and I'm turning myself towards you. Repenting is what matters most. So when you were baptized, did you truly repent? turn away from sin and turn toward God? Or did you just want the free gift of salvation because you want to live forever, you don't want to burn in hell, you're afraid of the fires of hell? What was your reason for being baptized in the first place? Go to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know that, that passage that talks about being born of water and born of the Spirit? When you were first born, you were carried in the womb of your mother, okay? And there were the birth waters that were there. The birth waters needed to break open so that you could come and be birthed out of that, right? Remember Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt? And they were birthed into a new situation as the waters of the Red Sea parted. And through that Red Sea, through the waters, there was salvation on the other side. And God was leading them to a place, a promised land. Remember? And, and as they're traveling through that, those waters, all of a sudden on the other side, the waters come caving in once they've made it safely to the other side, taking away all those that would take them captive again from Egypt. The waters swallowed them up. See, that's what God does for us, my friends, when we are baptized, when we're truly baptized. We step into this new experience, and we're going to a new birth. And it's through the power of God's Spirit that washes us and cleans us from all that that's trying to keep you captive. 
the time keep you in bondage and in slavery to sin. But God says, listen, I'm washing all that away. So when you come to me, you, my child, will come to new life. You are reborn to a new life. All that old stuff will not cling to you anymore. It's gone. For some reason, I'm sure many of us Christians, we step into that new relationship with God, but then we turn around and we're like, I miss my old life. It's not as exciting as I thought being with God. You know, I thought more was going to happen. Right? And the enemy starts to attack us. And we start to feel like, where is God now? Yes, you have a question. Does water baptism itself save or not? But we are talking not about water baptism, yes. but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I say a word? Uh, because uh, I think as far as I understand, uh, baptism is not going to be the celebration of uh, like a uh, Jesus when you're saving. And then it's not uh, you get the Holy Spirit. It's not like uh, you baptize and you get uh, the Spirit put uh, up in Jesus. Like you confess by your mouth that Jesus is so we're, you're getting ahead of me here. We are, we are going to study through this, yes. But that, that, that is right along the right path where we're going to study. Thank you. So the baptism spirit, we, all we want to do is differentiate a little bit that water baptism and baptism of the spirit, okay? So here's a, a slight definition for us. Baptism of the spirit is simply the work of God's spirit, placing the believer into union with Christ, as we identify with Christ, and into union with other believers in the body of Christ, his church, his family, okay, the body of believers. So he places us in the union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. What is that moment of salvation, that moment of conversion, that moment that you've decided, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, yes, I believe that what he's done is enough, that is the moment of salvation. At that moment, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Because nobody could reveal that truth to you, that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is doing what he says he's doing without the true revelation from God's spirit. So in that, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It didn't come because somebody at church um, tried to convince you that this is how we believe in God. I'm like, what do you mean this is how we believe in God? I don't believe it that way. But until you come to believe it, you can only know that through the Spirit himself. The Bible tells us, who knows the secrets of a man except for the Spirit that is within him? So who knows the secrets of God except for his Spirit who reveals God's truth and his wisdom and he gives revelation to us? It's through his Spirit. But there are conditions and there are three gifts. How many of you believe that God loves us unconditionally? I believe it. I hang on to that. He loves me unconditionally, no matter how horrible I am, right? My wife and I sometimes take you down with me. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I, when we are dealing with our children, when we are trying to discipline them or trying to just, it gets rough. And sometimes we act out of our own strength and we don't rely on God's spirit to help us in those moments. But no matter how bad a thing our boys might be doing, it doesn't, we couldn't ever do anything that would make us stop loving them. 
you know, our love for them is unconditional. Now, although we love them unconditionally, do you think they're experiencing our love in a way that's well communicated to them? Probably not. Why are you disciplining me? Why are you being so hard on me? I just want to enjoy, I just want to have fun. Sometimes we're like that with God too. We don't accept his discipline. We don't accept the things that are changing in our lives. But we understand God is a loving God, yes? And people wonder, if God's so loving, then why would he allow all these horrible things to happen? No, God's not going to try to control everything. I mean, he is in control. But he gave you the freedom to choose things. Sometimes the things that we choose are what lead us into those terrible situations, right? But God still loves you no matter what the situation is, right? God's love is unconditional, but have you ever heard that there are conditions? There are conditions on the faith journey? Let's look at that. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Alright, so God's love is unconditional. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son. We cannot earn salvation because it is a gift that's freely given. But if you desire the gift, then you must do what the Bible says in order to receive it. So once again, you can't just do what the Bible says to earn your salvation because salvation is already a free gift for you. Okay? But you must do what the Bible says in order to receive the free gift. See, the gift of faith and salvation is free, but the process of receiving the free gift is conditional. Sometimes we think, thank you for that. Sometimes we think that the gift that's given to us that we've already accepted it. Because it goes, oh, here's salvation, and you put it in your hand. But the gift is still wrapped. And you take it because, oh, yeah, I agree with that. But let me just put it up here on the shelf. And I'm going to leave it here, and you never open the gift. You never really appreciate it for what it is. How could you value a gift that's given to you and you've never experienced it? Okay, you might have received it into your hands, but not into your experience of life. And I believe many Christians, this is where we are. We have heard the word, we've agreed with it, we want that gift, so we go and get baptized, and we think, well, that's how it came, I guess. And you take the gift, but you never experience it. But let's talk about conditions. Let's say I, I call faith. And I say, faith, you've been doing such a wonderful job in your life, and I just want to celebrate you, and because you're such a good friend, I just want to bless you with a gift. So I got you a gift. You've done nothing to, to earn it, uh, but if you want the gift, come by my house after work and pick it up. What does Faye need to do in order to get that gift? She has to come by after work and pick it up, right? Because it's hard for me to get out of the house with all my kids. <laughs> so, so that's a condition for faith to receive the gift. Now, I've already given the gift because I purchased it, I've prepared it, it's already for her. It has her name on it, so it's specifically for her, not for anybody else, and I've given her that gift, but it's still waiting to be received. 
So there's a condition on that. There's a process. What is the process that God expects us to go through in order to receive the gift of faith and salvation? Okay? Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died in sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So friends, question. Have you died to sin? I asked the question earlier. I asked, how many of you have been baptized? A lot of hands go up. If I were to ask now, have you died to sin? How many hands are going up? We're not sure sometimes. Sometimes we're not sure. What kind of sin is that? I died for some of my sin, but not all of them. <laughs> correct. At the same time, I think we don't have a clear understanding that that actually happens. Yeah, right? Sometimes when we get baptized, all we want is the forgiveness of our sins because yeah. we're not realizing that we're identifying with Christ in his death, his death on the cross. And he took away all the sins of the world as he died on the cross. Okay? So our sins should have died with him. But it's up to us depending on what's ruling and reigning in our hearts, I ask the question again, have you died to sin? Are you still living in sin? Repentance is a condition to receiving forgiveness of sin and the free gift of salvation. Yes, God has forgiven us through Jesus because it is in him to be forgiven. But we can only truly receive and experience that forgiveness with the condition of repentance and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. To be baptized in water means to be immersed in water. To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ means to be immersed in the name of Christ. Have you been baptized in the name of Christ? You might have taken a bath one day. You might have taken a nice little spiritual bath where you decided to be water baptized in front of people and you came up and you felt great because who doesn't like feeling good after a bath? You feel good, right? But what does it mean to be immersed in the name of Jesus? So here it says, through his cross we die. Through his resurrection we live. Through the outpouring of his spirit we learn, we love, and we live for his kingdom purposes. This is what happens when we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We identify with him. We have died to sin. We are raised to new life. And we receive his spirit. All at the same time. 
Could this happen even without having water baptism? Yes. Absolutely. Who needs water for this to happen? We're not washed by physical water. We're washed by the renewing of the spirit, you see, and into new birth with Christ. Let's look at Acts, chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is a gift. It is a gift that is waiting to be given to you. You just need to receive it. But there are conditions to receiving it. Those are repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? Yes. applicable to somebody that may be on death row or on their deathbed and at those final moments of their life they have chosen Jesus. Maybe God's spirit has moved on their heart. Maybe God's spirit is making them new in those final days of their life. Nobody knows but God and that person. We cannot judge if somebody's on death row because they've lived such a horrible doing horrible things but how many of us have not done horrible things? We've leaped we have cheated, we have lied, we have uh, sinned against God daily, all right? But a person, yeah, this applies to anybody that has a true conversion experience with God, okay? talking about faith, and it's talking about repentance. And we know as we continue through the study, we're going to be learning more about this. So we keep jumping ahead of this. Um, let's, let's go to being filled with God's Spirit. Okay? What happens when we are filled with God's Spirit? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So earlier on, we read that Jesus instructed his disciples to stay and wait for a while for the promise that of his father to be fulfilled. He instructed them to wait in Jerusalem, wait for the gift that his father promised. And God's spirit came to baptize them all. He came to live within them, to fill them all. And he came to empower them all. Okay, so this is the work of God's spirit. And I used to ask a question. Why did they need to wait in Jerusalem? I mean, Jesus was with them for three years already, right? And after his death and resurrection, it took another 40 days where Jesus walked with them. 
And then after Jesus ascended, they're sitting and waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of his spirit. You ever wonder why? Why did they need to wait so long for the spirit? Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. That's the festival. That's what the day of Pentecost is. 50 days after the Passover. So they had journeyed with Jesus for three years. They had been working together with this resurrected Jesus for 40 days before Jesus ascended to his Father in heaven. And then they sat and waited a little longer, praying and waiting for the gift that the Father had promised. Why did they need to wait for the Spirit to come? I stopped and thought about it because God created all of us in his image and in his likeness. He created all of us with our own spirit, yes? But your spirit, Letty, cannot be put into Jelly's body because your spirit is your spirit. It's tethered to your soul. Jelly, same thing. So there's none of this crossing over. As long as Jesus was here and in bodily form, the spirit of God was dwelling in Jesus. The spirit of Christ was his spirit. So until Christ is translated and is resurrected again, only then could his spirit come and live within what? The body of Christ. The body of believers. So as the body, as we are united by the power of God's spirit, we are united with, in union with Christ and we are in union with other believers in his body, his spirit comes and inhabits his body to work and to will, to do the Father's will, to do good works. So friends, if you're relying on your own spirit to lead you to do things for God, remember, we've died with Christ, and we are raised to new life. And that new life comes by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in your life. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ, through his spirit, who's living in me. Can we live and do what God is calling us to do? Yes, we can, so long as His Spirit is within us. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Questions or? Because we understand these concepts and this uh, almost formula, all right? But what God is giving us is more than a formula. It's this transforming work of His Spirit. And without understanding and having the wisdom of God through His Spirit, there's no way that we could appreciate the work of God in our life and what He's actually doing, right? And that's why it's important that we study this, all right? Because I feel only for myself, I forget. I forget how God's Spirit is at work in my life, how he's the one that's transforming me. I don't have to do the work to change myself. I surrender my life to God and allow him to come alive in me. Right? So, once again, God's spirit came to baptize, in them, baptize them all, came to live within them or fill them all, and he came to empower them all. 
So does that mean, because this is what happened with the apostles, does that mean that we have to wait for the baptism of the Spirit to unite us to the body of Christ? No. We do not have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because now, God's Spirit is already poured out. We don't have to wait. It's His Spirit that leads us to repentance. It's His Spirit that leads us to the cross. This is what happens at our conversion experience. We would have the baptism of the Holy Spirit first before we decide to have the water baptism, which is simply a public declaration of the conversion that's already happened in our hearts. Okay? But sometimes we do have to wait for His Spirit to fill us and to empower us. Just because the Spirit of God, you've been baptized and it comes to you, because he's led you to repentance, does not mean that you are being filled with his spirit. It does not mean that he is empowering you to do the work that he's calling you to do yet. You understand? Some of us want God to fill us. Some of us want God to empower us. And we're still waiting, and we're still waiting. And you start to wonder, is the spirit of God really living? You know, I had this experience when I went to Bible college. Um, before I went to Bible college, I was filling out my application form. And my application form asked me, are you, what was the date of your water baptism? So I put there, I put there, November 10, 1990. I, that was my water baptism. Then it asked me, when was the date of your, the baptism of the Spirit? I didn't know how to answer. I'm like, wait, what? Hold on. I had, I had question marks. I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Spirit of God's with me. I don't understand what this baptism of the Holy Spirit means. I didn't know that there would be a specific date. And the reason that they asked that on my application was the school that I was going to was actually a Pentecostal school, right? So the focus is largely what happened at Pentecost, where they waited for the Spirit to come as though it happened at a different time. That the Spirit comes after you've accepted Jesus. That's not the baptism. Remember, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit at the conversion experience when salvation has come to your life. And then there's still we wait for the Lord to fill us and to empower us to do the work for His kingdom. Okay? Don't get it muddled. Don't think, if God's not using me yet for His kingdom, then I don't have the Spirit. That I'm not baptized by the Spirit. God's Spirit is with you. And He will move you and empower you to do mighty things, just like he did with the apostles. When I went to school, finally, I was told by one of my, my teachers there, I said, uh, you know, I really don't understand this whole thing about speaking in tongues, because I personally don't speak in tongues. And he said in front of all my classmates, then Tim, that means you don't have the Holy Spirit. I said, I beg your pardon. I stood up, right where I was, and I said, you're who are you to tell me that I do not have the Spirit of God with me? They're like, because you don't speak in tongues. I said, no, that makes no sense. There are many people in the world that don't speak in tongues. Are you telling me the Holy Spirit's not with them? He said, yes. I said, wow, this is like some status thing. He's like, but don't worry, it's a gift for you. If you want the gift of the Spirit, then you just have to pray for it and wait for it and, and earnestly want it and desire it. And I'm like, well, I've desired God already. I believe the Spirit was with me. That's what led me here in the first place to Bible college. 
and give my life to Jesus again, I'd have that conversion experience already. And they're like, but you don't speak in tongues. And I'm like, why does that matter? And the speaking in tongues, mind you, that they were talking about was a simple babbling, that self-edification with the Lord. It helps develop you in your faith, and I don't believe there's anything wrong with that sort of edification. We all want to be close to God, right? But the sort of tongues that were spoken of here with the apostles was they were given different languages to speak, languages they have never learned, so that they could go to the different nations and speak to those nations in their own languages, right? And that was a gift that God empowered them with. God's Spirit empowered them to go and spread the gospel to those many nations. So sometimes we think we want a certain thing from God. And it's okay to pray for anything in the Lord's name. But it would be according to His will. And whatever God brings out to your life, and He fills your life with, and He empowers your life a certain way. I never wanted to be a public speaker. I never wanted to stand up in front of a crowd of people, but that's what God divvied up to me through his spirit. Because I am a shy person that does not like to prepare, and I'm not very organized, and I don't speak well. I, I had a speech impediment as a child, and every time I spoke while I was growing up as a teenager, nobody heard me. I was invisible. And the only time I open my mouth now, it's like when I'm, when I'm glorifying God, and when I'm delivering his truth, when I'm following his spirit's leading, that's when all of a sudden God gives these words and they come flowing out of me that have nothing to do with me. It's only by the grace and the power of God. And that's how God's going to work in your life too. He will surprise you. Not because you feel you earn it or you deserve it. But whatever his spirit does in your life, friends, you need to be trusting him and obeying where he leads. Again, it's only through His Spirit that reveals that truth to us, and by His Spirit we are empowered to do His work. It's not up to us.
happens before baptism, it is God's spirit after all that leads a person to repentance and belief in the first place. This is the reason a person would choose to publicly declare their faith through symbolic water baptism. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Under grace. Thank the Lord for grace. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was to me without, not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. It is not us, it is not our own effort, it is the grace of God at work within us. 
that motivates us to serve God in the first place. So sin will have no mastery over us because we are under grace, not under the law. Grace motivates us to serve God. God's spirit is referred to as a spirit of grace in the Bible. Have you ever stopped to consider grace to be the spirit of God himself? Sometimes we take grace and we just think, oh, because of God's grace, I'm saved. Because of God's grace, and we abuse grace, and we sit on grace, because we, we get the forgiveness, but we still make a life in sin. Right? And it's like we're crucifying Christ all over again. But here, this is what it talks about where we sadden the Holy Spirit. Where we sadden God's spirit of grace because we are sitting on the work that was accomplished by Jesus Christ at the cross. Friends, are you okay? Are you satisfied with your life the way it is? If you continue to sit on Jesus on the cross, if you, can, if you continue to grieve his spirit, his spirit's trying to lead you and trying to guide you, but you disobey and you don't trust. How dare we claim the name of Jesus Christ and call ourselves a Christian or a child of God, yet we don't love him enough to welcome him into our lives, to have a true experience of God, to lead us and guide us in the direction that he would have us go, not where we choose to go. All we have to choose, friends, we're given the freedom of choice for one reason. You could choose God or you could choose something else. That's it. And once you choose God, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm still hanging on to my freedom of choice. You've already chosen God. And when you do that, it means you die to your own desires and you allow God's spirit to come and give new desires in your life. And whatever you do in the name of Jesus, you know what? Blessing comes to you. Why? Because you're walking in the will of God. Not because you're more special than anybody else, but because you are hidden in the person of Jesus Christ. So when, Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the wrong that you're doing. All he sees is Jesus over your life. Do you see his spirit, the spirit of Christ, alive in you? The power of God flowing through you is really the anointing of God. It is the presence and power of God flowing and operating through you to accomplish whatever the Lord wants you to accomplish for Him. For all you do, do it all for the glory of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. Have the grace of God and the power of his grace come so alive in your life that you become eager to do what is good, to step into his mission, and to join him in his kingdom purposes. What good is it that God saves you? He saved us for good works. 
not just so that we could go and have a good time in heaven and not die in hell. And you know, while while that's all great and that's a beautiful promise, we get to experience eternal life today. My friends, if you feel like your life is wasting away and you feel that there's nothing worth living for anymore, the life of Jesus Christ Himself through His Spirit can be alive in your life today if you allow Him to. If you've accepted Him, pray and say, God, come alive. Come alive in me today. Raise me from this pit and let me stand to honor and glorify you with my life, Lord God. See, grace doesn't lead us to tolerate sin. It doesn't lead us to a tolerance of sin, but to the fear of God and to turning away from sin. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. The Spirit of God led Jesus to the cross. The resurrection power through God's Spirit raised Jesus from the grave. It is God's Spirit that draws every human being to the cross. All who surrender to the cross of Christ are led to the outpouring of His Spirit. My friends, won't you stand with me today? Let's worship our God together.